I'm excited about the blessed life. This is one of the most important series and one that we're going to continue to revisit and expand on from time to time. This is not a one-time event. We started in May. We, we hit uh, two lessons then. We're going to hit some now, and we'll pick it up again next year. This is a life-giving lifestyle. This is not just something that we hear. It's not just something we do one time. This becomes a lifestyle, and it evolves as I mature. As I grow in Christ, my lifestyle of being blessed and my lifestyle of giving, it does evolve. And, and as I move into the blessings and the promises that God has for me, it evolves. And in acting the principles that God put in place, that's what gives us the abundant life that Jesus promised. I said this last week, I said it before, being saved and being blessed and walking in God's favor are two entirely different things. John 10 says, The thief comes not but, to, but for to steal, to kill, and to destroy. I've come that they might have life, that's salvation, and have it more abundantly. The blessed life is going to help position us for the kind of life that Jesus intends for us. The blessings of God don't always come in the exact form that I assume that they will. Because I, automatically, if, if I ask, if, if I tell you that God's going to bless you, what's going to pop in your mind? Dude, I'm getting a check. <laughs> Somebody's going to drop a hundo in my hand. I'm going to have a Benny or two, and I'm going to be blessed. That's immediately where our mind goes. If we talk about the blessings of God, it automatically gravitates toward money. Doesn't it? It just does. But... The blessings of God don't always come like that, and we're going to talk about this. It's not about an exchange rate. It's not about an exchange rate. We're not exchanging money for more money. If I give 10, I'm getting 20. It's a good deal for me. Thank you, Jesus. God is good. There are people that preach and teach that. The Bible does say however you sow is how you're going to reap. If you plant one tree and expect ten, you're going to be disappointed. If you plant one tomato vine and you expect to have ten tomato vines and a bunch of tomatoes, you're going to be disappointed. Why? Because you planted one, so you're going to get one. How you sow is how you're going to reap in every area of your life. It's not all about money. It's not about a blessed wallet. It's about a blessed life. It's about a blessed life. This series and these principles will change your life. They will cha- Let's talk about some area of blessings. They will change your marriage. They can change your health. Know you not that your body is a temple of God. This, is not, this church building is not the temple of God. My body is the temple of God. And if I approach... My body is being God's temple, and I take care of it accordingly. My health is going to change. There are certain things that I will, if I approach from the perspective that my body is God's temple, there are things that I will not want to put into God's temple. There are certain things that I won't want to do to God's temple. There are certain things that I won't want to ingest into God's temple. If we approach our bodies, our lives, as, as through, through godly principles, our marriage will change, our health will change, our children will change. 
It could change your job. A blessed life is a changed life. A blessed life is a changed life, and, and that's, where, that's where we're going. You cannot be in a relationship with Jesus Christ and not change. And the closer you get to him, the more you will change. Some of y'all are like, I like me just like I am. Well, the Bible says we're born in sin. We're shaped in iniquity. And God is holy. So the closer I, 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 I will always be a sinful creature. But the closer I get to Jesus, the less sinful I will be and the more holy I will be. Does that make sense? The closer I get to him, the more I will change. The, a blessed life is a changed life. Who's ready to change? There we go. Good. Some of y'all are. Let's go. We, the church, we are not after your money. Let me say that again. Amen. We are not after your money, but God is. Y'all hang with me. Some of y'all just automatically like, well, this is one of those. No, no, it's not. It is not. God is. Why? Because God is after your heart. Well, what does money have to do with the heart? I'm glad you asked me that question. Because in Matthew chapter 6, verse 21, for where your treasure is, there your heart will be also, God is after your heart, and in order for him to get your heart, he's got to have your wallet. Why? Because your heart is connected to your wallet. It's okay to chuckle, and we know it's true. Our heart is connected to our wallet, and it's all about the heart. If God can get your wallet, he can get your heart, because where your treasure is, is where your heart will be also. You may never in your life have ever followed the stock market. You may have never tried to learn a single thing about trading and what makes things happen the way they do. But the moment you invest in a 401k, or a specific, if somebody tells you, man, you got to buy this stock, and you go online, and you find this website, and you find this stock, and you buy this stock, I guarantee you that you will have a brand new favorite in your internet browser. You will have a brand new app on your phone. And not only will you check it daily, you will check it multiple times a day because you want to see how it's doing. You want to see if you're making money. I'm getting fingers pointed in the, in, in the house today. You want to see, is my money making money? And if it's only making 1%, you're not going to be happy. If it's making 5%, you're not going to be happy. But the moment you hit 8, 10, 12%, man, you're walking tall. And you may not know a thing about support or resistance or about, or about moving averages. You may not know anything about that at all, but you want to watch and see what your stock is doing. Why? Because you put your treasure there. And where your treasure is, is where your attention is going to be. Where your treasure is, is where your heart is going to be. Your heart follows your treasure. And giving in any capacity is all about your heart. And if you want your heart in the kingdom of God... You're going to have to put your treasure there. 
Today we're going to deal with qualities of our heart. We need to develop. We must develop. It is imperative to our relationship with Jesus Christ that we develop generous hearts because the heart is the key to the blessed life. We've heard the phrase, they have a good heart. Who's heard that phrase before? Man, they just have a good heart. You kind of fold your hands and turn your head sideways and smile and you say it wistfully. They just have a good heart. They're just a good person. They're a good guy. Who in here thinks you have a good heart? Like you're, you're, you're like, I'm okay. I have a good heart. Thank you for those hands. Let me get my needle out as I pop your balloon. As I pop your bubble. Jeremiah 17, 9 says, The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. You're like, (laughs) good feeling, gone. Who can know it? The heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? And then verse 10 says, I, the Lord, search the heart. I try the reins like like he's riding a horse, even to give every man according to his ways and according to the fruit of his doings. I read a phrase this week that said, I can hear what you say, but your actions are screaming at me. I hear the words coming out of your mouth, but your actions are screaming and they're louder than anything else that you would say to me. The scripture said, I give every man according to his ways, not to what he says. I give to every man according to his ways and according to the fruit or the the produce of his doings. So if our heart is wicked, what can we do? What, what, what recourse do we have? If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and seek my face and turn from their wicked ways, then I will. It's the if-then principle. It's when we do something, it causes God to respond and to change the circumstances of our lives. He's saying when you start this journey, when you repent, when you are turning from your wicked ways, when you are praying for relief, then I'm going to do all these things. I'm going to make a difference in your life. And when I recognize that on my own, I am sinful, on my own, my heart is wicked, on my own, I'm not much. But when I submit myself and I surrender to his plan and I enact his principles in my life, You have to understand the power of these principles. When we do these things, we unleash a blessing in our life that that we really can't fathom. When Scripture says that when we tithe, that he rebukes the devourer from our life, we can't even see that. There are things that would happen to us that we would never know about that God stops Because he's rebuking the devourer from our lives. That's just just one instance. And that's just a scripture that says that when we tithe, that God rebukes the devourer who is Satan from our lives. It's a principle. So what can we do to put into place to have a blessed life? So we're going to give you four keys to a generous heart. The first thing is we have to deal with with a selfish heart. In Deuteronomy 15, 9, Scripture says, Be careful not to harbor this wicked thought. 
The seventh year, the year for canceling debts is near, so that you do not show ill will toward the needy among your fellow Israelites and give them nothing. They may then appeal to the Lord against you, and you'll be found guilty of sin. There's something really cool here. God had developed an economic system in the, in the Israelites that ever, on the seventh year, the seventh year, debt was canceled. <laughs> Who wouldn't mind that principle? Let's just pick one. If we were going to pick one, something back from the Bible times, to be put, it wouldn't be stoning. It wouldn't be anything like that. This is a pretty cool one, that every seven years, your debt is canceled. What the scripture is saying, if you're in the sixth year and somebody comes to you and says, dude, I've, I've had a rough time. I've had a rough go. Can I, can I get a loan? Don't hold out on the guy because it's the sixth year and you know he may not pay you back in that sixth year. And when the seventh year rolls around, you know you have to cancel the debt. You're dealing with a selfish attitude. So he's saying don't manipulate and don't hold back because you might not come out ahead. That's being selfish, right? Yeah, that, that just makes sense. He's saying give anyway. Don't be selfish. He was dealing with the principle of not being selfish. He said give. He called selfishness wickedness. So that leads to a question. Why, why did God create giving? Because Scripture says that God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. That everything in the world is his. And he says, the scripture says that heaven is, is a place with streets of gold. So if that's, if that's who God is, if that's what God has, why then does he institute giving? Does he do it to fund his kingdom? Many people will say that he does. But if he has everything, why would he need us to fund his kingdom? Do you think that God needs your money to support his work? That's what we use it for. But God could still get anything done that God wants to do, with or without you, like you do. With or without you, it wouldn't matter. He owns everything. He didn't create giving for his sake. He didn't tell us that we need to give for his sake. He created it for ours. God created giving so it would help us, not help him. More than anything else, more than anything else, giving works selfishness and greed out of our lives. More than anything else, giving works selfishness and greed out of our lives. That's why the message that so many people preach, that when we give to get, it's dangerous. Because if you give to get, all we are doing is feeding our selfishness and our greed, and that is equated to sin. What do you mean by that? If I'm just giving to have more? Who's that, who's that about, really? It's not about me supporting God's kingdom. It's not about me enacting a principle in my life. It's just about me giving so I can have more. It's about me giving so I can hope that God likes me this week. I got some tough stuff coming up. I better pay some tithes. I haven't done it in six months, but I better do it this week. We chuckle because we identify. And that's okay because we're human. It's okay because we're fallen. It's not okay to perpetuate that behavior. 
But it's okay to identify and understand that because we know sometimes that we slack off on what the, the principles of God ask us to do, and then we find ourselves in a jam and say, oh, I better fix that because I'm, I'm going to have a big ask this week. I want that promotion, or I want that new car, or I'm trying to buy this house, and I really want God's blessing in my life. Sometimes we get people who come pray, I've got this coming up, and I really want God's blessing in my life. And you hadn't seen him in four months. So where, where, do, where does the principle-based living come in and not just, I'm giving to get? When we give to get, we feed our greed by trying to get more. And having or getting more is the goal of giving to get. There are guys on TV, you send 100 and God's going to give you 1,000. Bless God. And they got 100,000 people sending them 100 with no regard for how anybody is, is faring from that. You got 1,000 people sending in 100 bucks waiting for the 1,000 that probably will never come. Because it's not about giving to get. It's about giving to be blessed. It's working selfishness and greed back. See, we we come to Jesus and we, we try to get these things rooted out of us. But this mindset is getting selfishness and greed back into your life. It's bringing it back. And when, when people hear this give-to-get message and they begin giving, do you think God is in heaven saying, oh, they're finally catching the revolution of getting? This revelation I've been wanting them to get is if they give, I'll, you know, they'll get more. No, it's not about that at all. Is it possible for you to have more than, than you did when you started giving? Absolutely, because the blessings of God are amazing. But I'm talking about the mindset and the motive for what you're doing. I'm talking about the heart because we, we think that we're doing this and we're putting this principle in place and we're looking forward to the blessings of God and that's great. But if we're doing it for that reason, we still have the selfish heart. We have to catch the real reason and the real revelation of giving. Number two, we have to deal with a grieving heart. Deuteronomy 15.10, give generously to them and do so without a grudging heart. Then because of this, the Lord, your God, will bless you in all. Everyone say all. All All your work and in everything you put your hand to. Give generously without a grudging or a grieving heart. When we give with the right heart, God will bless us in everything that we do. I didn't make that scripture up. That is not me. That is Deuteronomy 15, 10. See, selfishness attacks us before we give. Selfishness keeps us from giving. It says, I've got this and I need to keep it. I want it. I want to hold on to it. Selfishness attacks us before we give. Grief attacks us after we give. Yeah, I got some chuckles. You know what I'm talking about. You give something, you're like, oh, why did I do that? That was just too much. I shouldn't have done that. Or at the end of Christmas, uh-huh, 
and the bills come in January, and you're like, man, why did I go so overboard? That's legitimate. But when we're talking about the things that we're doing for the kingdom of God, we giving, selfishness attacks at the beginning, and grief comes at the end. In 2000-something, 12, 11, I don't know, at some point, Pastor Andrew's up here preaching, and, and he was talking about giving. And God spoke to me in that moment, and I had this old car, and... God said, sell the car, give the money to the church. And for some of it may not be a big deal for some of you, but so selfishness started right then. It said, oh, that's your car. You, you bought that when you were 17 years old. And your, your dad worked on that car. And that's something that you have together. I'm, I'm standing literally right there. Right there. And all these thoughts are swirling in my head. And you have these memories. You will never get another one. I haven't yet. You will never get another car like this in this kind of shape with this engine and, and this body style. It was a 69 Chevelle Supersport. And it blew fire out the manifolds and hit the floor. Literally, flames out the exhaust. And it was pretty awesome. It was silver with black stripes. <laughs> so I had this battle, and it was selfishness because it, A, it's a thing. It's just a thing. But I, I loved, see that, here we go. I loved that car. And if I, I've, I've only heard and, and a near audible voice from God a few times in my life, and that was one of them. I wanted to hold on to the car. That was my selfishness, but I knew what the voice of God said to do. So I had to deal with selfishness. I'm just being real and transparent. Is that okay? And then I said, okay. So... I put the word out, the car's for sale. And it took a month, six weeks, eight weeks, the car didn't sell. And I started to say, well, God, you said you want the money. So when you want the money, you sell the car. So the car sold. And it's been a few years. And to, to illustrate how much of a non-deal this has become for me, I don't really remember how much the car sold for. But I remember... When the car sold and the cash, yeah, cash, came in, into my hands, hmm, that's a lot of money. <laughs> but there's a story in the Bible about somebody saying they're going to sell some land and give the money to the kingdom of God, and they sold the land, and they brought some of the money to the kingdom of God, and the man of God said, well, you did sell the property, yeah, that's all good, but this isn't all the money, and they dropped dead. So let me tell you something. When the car sold, I couldn't get the check written fast enough to get the check deposited. But then what happened? I felt a measure of relief that it was out of my hands. But then that that back end came in. 
the grief. It was like, man, that was a lot of money. It was like eight, nine, ten thousand dollars, something like that. It was, it wasn't that much money. It's a lot of money at Christmas time. So I had that grief. That's a that's a lot of money. You know what you could do? Yeah, I do know what I could do with that. I know what I could do with half of that. I could I could pay this bill. I could pay that bill. Because it's not like money is just growing on trees. We all know this. But I had to deal with that. The reason we grieve, and I've already said this in, in my words, but the reason we grieve after we give, the, the reason that we're selfish with what we have, and the reason I was having issues with this car and selling it and giving the money to the church was, is Psalm 24 and 1. We've got to understand this. The earth is the Lord's and everything in it. The world and all who live in it are the Lord's. And if, if we understand, we'll have a lot less selfishness and a lot less grief if we understand that everything that is in our hands does not belong to us. Everything in the earth is the Lord's. So my money is literally where my mouth is. When we give back to God what is already his, when we give back to God what we have already identified as his, we won't have an issue with a grieving heart. Because it wasn't mine anyway. I had to deal with selfishness and deal with grief. Number three, develop a generous heart. Staying in Deuteronomy 15, verse 14. Supply them liberally from your flock, your threshing floor, and your wine press. Give to them as the Lord your God has blessed you. God wants us to be generous. We're born in sin, and sin is selfish. It's wickedness. But when we're born again, we can become generous. We just have to renew our minds. Our lives are transformed, as Romans says, by the, by the renewing of our minds. Luke chapter 6 is about generosity, and, and we, we pull the scripture when, when our behavior is bad. When we don't want someone to look at what we're doing, we say, judge not lest you be judged. Don't judge me. Only God can judge me. Only God can judge me. Don't look at me. Don't judge me. It says, judge not lest you be judged. The very next scripture says, for the same measure that you give it is going to be given to you. The same measure that you judge people with is, going to, is God's going to judge you in the same way. But the same way you give it, see, we, we say, give, man, give, and it's going to be given back to you, pressed down. Shaken together and overflowing shall God give to you. But it's previous verse is about judging. So let's look at it through that lens. How I judge you is how God's going to judge me. Pressed down, shaken together, and overflowing. But the whole, the whole, that whole chapter is about, about giving. And expecting nothing in return. What's the hardest thing we teach the kids besides listening? It's to share. Somebody can come to your house and the kids are the same age and your kid's playing with something and, and this other kid comes in and picks up a toy. Oh, that was, I was playing with that. That's mine. The new kid comes in and tries to hug you, the parent of the kid that lives there. And sometimes that kid will run over and put an arm in there. That's my mom. That's my dad. It's mine. 
I'm talking an 18-month-old kid, a two-year-old kid. We become possessive, and those things are ours. And the hardest thing that we ever have to learn in life is to share. For God so loved the world that he gave. If we're going to be true Christians, we, if, if we're going to be like Jesus Christ, we have to learn to be generous. We have to learn to be generous. Number four, develop a grateful heart. Deuteronomy 15, 15. Remember, remember that you were slaves in Egypt, and the Lord your God redeemed you. That is why I give you this command today. Remember who you were. Remember what you were. I'm grateful because I'm not who I was. I'm grateful because I'm not what I was. Remember where God brought you from. I'm grateful that I'm no longer where I was. And remember who has saved you. He said, remember that you were a slave. That's where you were. That's what you were. But remember that I redeemed you. Remember the one who saved us. Remember the one who has given us every single thing that we have. Do you know how we become ungrateful as believers? We forget that moment. We forget that moment of revelation, that moment of, that we know. We forget being saved. We live life. Life happens to us. The ups, the downs, all that, the good, the bad, the ugly. We go through it. We experience it. And slowly, we lose sight of that moment of all that we know that God has reached down in his grace and his mercy and his never-ending love. And he pulled us from where we were, from being slaves to sin. And he said, you don't have to be that way anymore. I'm going to redeem you. And at that moment, we're filled with awe. We're filled with gratitude. We're filled with wonder. But as we go along, we, we forget the feeling of the moment and the awe of our conversion, where we met Jesus and where he saved us. But if we can keep that moment part of our life, understanding, remember, you were slaves and I brought you out of that. I redeemed you. I died for you. We will develop and we will live with a grateful heart. What did the Apostle Paul say? I, you were sinners, you're fallen. I was the chief sinner. I was the biggest sinner of all, and God saved me. He never lost sight of who he was. He never lost sight of where he came from. He lived with a grateful heart. No one else could do what Jesus did for us. And as we go through this blessed life, living by these principles, we teach them to our kids. Patriotism, it's Veterans Day. Patriotism is passed down from generation to generation. Parents, it's your job to educate. But you know what else is passed down from generation? Proverbs 22, 6. Train up a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they won't depart from it. Teach them when they get up. Teach them when they lie down. We instill the word of God in our kids' hearts. It's our responsibility as parents to grow them in a way that God has taught us to do. You can teach them what to do. You can teach them about a grateful heart. You can teach them about not being selfish. You can teach them about not grieving when they do something good. And you can tell them why you do it. Don't just tell them what. Tell them the why. Because in Exodus 13, we visited this in May. In days to come, when your son asks you, what does this mean? Say to him. This is us not forgetting where we came from. 
With a mighty hand, the Lord brought us out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. When Pharaoh stubbornly refused to let us go, the Lord killed the firstborn of both people and animals in Egypt. This is why I sacrifice to the Lord the first male offspring of every womb and, every, and redeem each with my firstborn sons. You're not going to tell them all that. We're not going to be killing animals and stuff. But you're going to say, this is why we assemble in the house of God and worship him. This is why we come together as a community and we give praise to God. This is why the first tenth of my income goes to the kingdom of God. Because of what he did for me and the principles I enact in my life are going. That's why our life is blessed. That's why I'm not this anymore. That's why we don't have to deal with this in our family. Because the, the devourer has been rebuked from our home. I'm telling you, if you don't tithe, you are missing it. Amen. That's nowhere in my notes. But if, you don't, if, you're, if you're not enacting this principle in your life, you're missing it. You're missing a blessing from God that cannot be measured. Right. How can you measure the fact that God will rebuke Satan from your family? Right. You can't. And you tell your kids, this is why we do what we do, because it's a promise from God. It's a principle. He said, when we do this, he said, test me and see if I won't. The only place in Scripture where God says, put me to the test. That's why I'm grateful. That's why I do what I do, because he brought me out. He saved me. He redeemed me. He blessed my family, and I will continue to do it until the day I die. It's all about our heart. So where's your heart? Wherever your heart is, that's where your treasure is. So ask yourself, instead of asking tough questions, where's my heart? Say, where's my treasure? Where's my treasure? Wherever that is, is where your heart is. We need to put our treasure in the kingdom of God. If I want my heart in the kingdom of God, I have to put my treasure in. This this is not about a one-time transaction. This is not give to get. This is not me telling you that if you give 100 bucks, you're going to get 100,000. You you won't. You won't. I'm not telling you that if you give tithing that you're going to be blessed financially. I'm not telling you that. You're going to be blessed Will it be financially? I don't know. Somebody told me a story. I think it was last week. I get my weeks confused now. I'm not going to tell who it is, but I've, I've told their story before. Fixed income. Heard a message three, four years ago. Four years ago, I think. And said, I've got to start tithing. But they said, I can't afford to do it. This is not a conversation with me. It's a conversation with God. And this person began tithing on money they couldn't afford to tithe. And that week, somebody brought food. Is that money? No. Somebody brought food. Next week, somebody brought some money. And things things kept happening to make up the difference. This person's housing was two-thirds of what the fixed income was. I hope it's okay to share this. I'm not, sharing, I'm not saying names. This person's housing was two-thirds of what their fixed income was, making things almost unbearable. 
At the end of the year, a notice was mailed. Housing was reduced by two-thirds. Now housing was only about a third of the monthly fixed income. This person being encouraged, soldiered on. God's doing what he said he would do. I can't stop now. The next year, housing was reduced by half. Income hadn't changed. The faithfulness hadn't changed. The principle was in place. The next year, I've done the math. I think the the next year it was reduced again by about 70%. To where now the housing is only about, I think, 30, 40 bucks a month. Did this person get a check in the mail? No. They get thousands of dollars in the mail? No. But let me tell you something. When your housing decreases by 90%, that's a blessing from God. This person's comment to me last week wasn't, you never know. I may find out in January they may pay me to live there. <laughs> that's not putting limits on God. That's having corn in the crib. But that took a step of faith. Because on the surface, at the beginning, this person knew, I can't do this. But it's a principle. No one was asking her to give money she didn't have. But it's a principle in the word of God. She saw this and said, this is something I have to do. You may say, I can't afford to do that. And my answer to you, as callous as it may seem, it's not. You can't afford not to can't do it the blessed life is about principles it's not it's not about us being after you it's about god laying this out saying here it is what did jesus say i stand at the door and i knock he's not going to kick you in the teeth and, and and make you take blessings from him he's going to say here it is i'm laying it out for you if you want it come get it if you want it come get it So today, I'm done. A blessed life. I want, every night when I pray for my kids, I pray individually for my kids. And I, I pray blessings on myself, my wife, my kids, their spouses. My kids are teenagers. Do I know who they're going to marry yet? No, I don't, but I'm praying for their spouses. And I go a step further and I pray for their kids. I pray for my grandkids that I had only nowhere on, in, nowhere on the radar. I pray blessings down in my family. I speak those words and we live by principles. Is life perfect? No. 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 but it's blessed there are weeks just like any of you that I want to throw my hands up in the air and say I'm done I want to quit but in the middle of all that the blessings of God prevail and the blessings are there because the principles are there I pray God's blessings on your life on your family 
on everything you do. Remember, it's all about our heart. It's all about our heart, and, and, and Jesus wants our hearts. He wants to bless us. He wants to grow us. Remember, Veterans Day. Hug a veteran. Come, thank you. Thanksgiving baskets due next Sunday. We need 10 more if you can find your heart to do that. God bless you. Have a fantastic week.